And welcome everybody once again to the Not a Rabbi podcast. This is the podcast where we like to talk about some Jewish topics at a high 30,000 foot level for everyone to get a better understanding of it, ask questions, and have a good discussion all around. We talk about some of the news articles that happen that are somewhat Jewish related, and we uh, I would like to have a good time here. I would like to thank my friends at the Fifth Column Pod, uh, Fifth Column Podcast, I guess, uh, server, uh, the Discord server, there we go, the Fifth Column Discord server would like to thank the moderators there for allowing me to continuously do this thing that I do on their server. Uh, we definitely do appreciate it. By we is a royal we uh, because I'm the only one that does this. So interesting thing that I wanted to just mention here is that today, uh, which is the 26th of September that I'm recording on, I was going to record in my sukkah. It is the holiday of sukkahs. I was going to record there. However, uh, the remote mic that I have for that was a little bit too low, I think. And also there was a lot of wind going on. So even though there are some walls that are put up, uh, you just heard a lot of wind. And I didn't think that it would be a very good recording situation so i do apologize for that i thought it would be rather meta to to do that uh have a jewish podcast in the sukkah i thought it would would have been pretty fitting as well Uh, however i was not able to uh to do that today so my apologies to the millions and millions of you that are in the live chat right now hopefully everyone is doing well and uh quick also I like to lead with my mistakes as possible, if possible, and wanted to apologize for really a lot of static that there was on the line uh, on the recording of last episode. Not sure exactly what happened. I used the same setup time after time, and for some reason, this it happened. A uh, little bit of housekeeping there. I uh, I do apologize. Well, maybe next year, yes, uh, one of the commenters in the live chat say maybe we could do it next year. Next year, I could still do another episode tomorrow. You never know, and I could do it outside. It could be nice. It's supposed to be nice tomorrow. Um, I'll check what the weather has to say later. Don't want to get really uh, too bogged down on that. In any event, have some interesting, I think, some interesting news articles here to talk about. Then I want to get into uh, the main topic of discussion, which is a question that a listener did uh, send me and asked me about. So I wanted to answer that question. Let's get to the news articles here. First news article that we're going to post, uh, that I will post into the chat, I should, into the chat, I should say, uh, and there is a slight pun that's not intended, but uh, I'm going to use it anyway. This news article is from the New York Post, which has still to this date the best headlines ever. In any event, the article is more of an opinion piece written by the Archbishop of New York, uh, I believe that's his official title. Let me just double check. Uh, yes, he is the he is the Archbishop of New York. New York, uh, Timothy Cardinal Dolan, as why as New York's Archbishop, 
he relishes the Jewish high holy days. And the article goes through a little bit about some of the things that he feels is uh, are interesting with regard to the uh, mostly the days of Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, and also the uh, also Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. A uh, couple of interesting things here he, he says, and I'll just touch base on them quickly. Uh, he wants to, know, you know, he, he talks about how Rosh Hashanah is a day of renewal, and in a lot of ways he is correct in that, where it is a day of renewal, and because what we're doing is we are praying and asking for God to uh, give us life for this year, continuously write us, write, for this for this year, write us in the book of life, have us written in the book of life. Life uh, right now, we uh, on Yom Kippur we actually ask for it to be sealed uh, in the book of life, and all the other uh, good books, such as the book of forgiveness, such as the book of sustenance, uh, of you know having a uh, having a living where you can support people and support your family. So that is a very you know, very important thing. And one of the things he is interesting, he says is, uh, with all of the stuff that is going on in the world these days, uh, do not need to really, I think, touch on all of those types of things. If you take a look and open the paper, you'll see what we have. And he asks, uh, shall we cower and cover up in bed each morning or take a deep breath Thank the Lord for being with us. Make an act of trust and start afresh. Rosh Hashanah chooses option two. So uh, that is, you know, that is one thing that uh, was interesting, I thought. Then he talks about the uh, Day of Atonement. And as an abandoned beggar, uh, Mother Teresa was asked what she would most like to change in the world. She replied herself. Now there is an interesting uh, corollary to that, which is people uh, have attributed a statement, and I have to, f I really should have found the statement, but I'm not, I did not, I forgot to, um, how basically a person wanted to go ahead and change the world. Then he decided to change the community. Then he decided to change, they decided to change, uh, you know, the first, first I think it was the, the his his the world, then his country, then his his state, and then his city, and it went kept going. And he realized that really the change, any change that has to happen, is change that you start from within, from yourself first. And once you make those changes that you want to see, you can go ahead and radiate those changes out, and once people see those ex that as an example they're able to then do that it's it's an, an issue of leading by example which is uh it's been attributed to many many people um maybe some of those some of you in the live chat who are more intelligent than i uh meaning everybody could uh will will find that will find that and uh post that into the uh into the chat you know and here's here's what i really found interesting uh about what Cardinal Dolan said, where he says, once again, I find sure, I sure find that sentiment refreshing. He is talking about uh, wanting to repent and return to God's law and covenant. You know, he says, 
Yet, when's the last time we've heard someone caught in a bad mistake or crime simply whisper, I'm sorry, I did it, I'm at fault, I need forgiveness of God the and the people that I've hurt and myself? And this is true. And again, this, this gets really cuts to the essence of what Yom Kippur is about, where we continuously are um, asking God for forgiveness uh, for the sins that we have, we have committed. There are two types of, I guess, commandments that we have. We have the commandments that are between ourselves and God and things along those lines. So that's all within the realm of being between man and God. Now, however, there are other commandments where they are between man and man. And one of the things that we say on Yom Kippur, at the beginning of Yom Kippur, right at the beginning, is that we, ask, we say, and the, the Talmud says this as well, that no, you cannot be forgiven for sins between man and man unless the other person goes ahead and forgives you for that. And you go ahead and you actually go ahead and forgive all everybody for anything that they've done wrong to you. And this is it's spelled out in the uh, in a specific prayer right at the beginning of Yom Kippur. So it was a, it's a very interesting article. And then he says, thank you, older brothers and sisters in faith, uh, as Pope Francis calls Jewish people. And he uh, he goes into it. So that was a, it. Was a nice little article, nice little uh, appetizer, I guess, for for what we uh, f for going into the uh, holidays because this is obviously published before the beginning of the Jewish New Year, uh, before Rosh Hashanah. It was uh, published on September fifth, and being that this is September twenty sixth, as always, I am behind the times. Any uh, any thoughts, comments from? from the live chat regarding this this article. All right, so let's go to the next article. This is this is part 1 of 2 of articles that I'm going to be uh talking about. I really debated whether or not to talk about this specific event slash uh thing, I guess you'll say. Um and that is here as you see it's uh from America's truth detector news.yahoo.com and n the title is Netflix My Unorthodox Life Spurred Ultra Orthodox Jewish Women to Publicly Talk About Their Lives. Now, this is again, this is on this was published on September 7th. It is actually from a website called The Conversation, which I've never heard of before. Um, this is written by a Georgetown University assistant professor of Jewish civilization. And this talks about a re reality show, which I know everybody loves in the, in, the, uh, in the chat. I know everybody loves reality shows as much as I do. And it is about a, TV, a reality show that came out, I think, in the middle of the summer... Uh, called My Unorthodox Life. My Unorthodox Life is about an individual who is an American fashion designer and entrepreneur, and they, this individual, uh, decided to leave the 
Jewish religion, pretty much, and do uh, and make and try to force her children to become non-religious as well. Um, and and this and, and I'm not mentioning names here specifically because uh, there are problems and have been found to be serious holes in the individual's story that she tells about how actually religious uh, they were and <laughs> and um, you know or you know how ultra orthodox they were because they claim that they were ultra orthodox and then they go ahead and it turns out not to be the case and and the like and I'm not a big fan of this uh, I'm not a big fan of this uh, type of you know type of issue um, listen they are allowed to leave religion I'm not going to knock them for that what they wanted to do they wanted to do and you cannot uh, really I don't really judge in those types of things um, however what this did was they created a hashtag called uh, these some Orthodox women created a hashtag on Twitter Instagram Instagram and Twitter I think it was called my Orthodox life and that is um, something and they go ahead and they talk about how their lives are actually very fulfilling and the things like that um, and it diminishes women for being very uh, orthodox women I should say for being very fulfilled and doing a lot of different things um, you know for example as I believe I had mentioned earlier uh, there is an Orthodox woman who is running a huge government intelligence organization. Um, uh, it was a cybercrime or something like that. Uh, she, she is running that. Uh, there are others out there. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, uh, there's one that here in New York, Brooklyn, who is a civil court judge, who is actually extremely ultra-Orthodox. Um, you know, there are orthodox women are out there in the world not just uh sitting at home um and so therefore you know it's an interesting article you know here i'll just read one one of these uh posts i am orthodox and i am fulfilled i am orthodox and i achieve a level results that ranked in the top five percent of the country i am orthodox and I studied my undergraduate degree in one of the best universities in the UK. That is pretty much, uh, you know, how that uh, how that is. And that's just an example of that. You know, and like I said, she had. You know, I'm gonna stop th stop there with that individual uh, and this specific movement because, um, like I said, I, I don't I don't believe it. Um, I, I think that a lot of them we will. Uh, you know there are challenges i'm not going to say that there aren't uh there are some very disappointing challenges i find um as somebody you know who is a husband and who is a father of a daughter i, I find that some of the you know challenges are stupid <laughs> for for lack of a better term um but uh you know you know, I, I, you know, we have to fight and we have to not fight is a bad word, probably, but we have to continue and go ahead and try and move slowly these these ideals. 
and we have to get them better. Uh, and there's, you know, a lot that I disagree with in terms of the, uh, in, in terms of how some Orthodox areas handle feminine issues. Um, and like I said, I'm trying, you know, we all try to change those as, as we see fit. Okay. Any, any questions about that article? Ah, so the question is, am I, I am not ultra Orthodox. Now, let me say with a disclaimer here that I think I'm not a fan of any of these labels. Um, I prefer the label of Jewish and, and that is it. Uh, if I were, I would probably be, you know, more of the quote unquote modern Orthodox. If anything, um, like I said, though, I hate all of these labels and I detest them, um, greatly because I think that they're, that they just create too many stereotypes and the stereotypes are, are not good uh, for anybody. And as I like to say, all generalizations are false. So anyhow, it, it's, um, you know, it, it just when you get down into these really, you know, I, I don't like using orthodox conservative reform, you know, and whatever other denominations there may or may not be either i prefer to just to call them jewish um but that is just one man's opinion and of course this man is not a rabbi so you know who knows but that is that's how uh that's how i feel about that what kind of clothing that these is it that these women wear are you i'm assuming you which women are you talking about here the the women in the in the uh, that are posting these things or um the ultra orthodox which ones which ones are you talking about oh the women who are leaving the ultra orthodox uh they'll wear you know the women who are leaving ultra orthodox when they leave ultra orthodox they are going to uh wear whatever they feel like <laughs> it's, it's that simple um uh, the ultra orthodox women will generally be dressed uh, more modestly, um, I would say, uh, some of their clothing, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert on women's clothing, so I'm not going to comment on that, but you know, I, you know, they, they dress as they dress. I mean, it's, it's a lot more unassuming and a lot more modest, um, you know, generally with, uh, you know, a dress or a skirt that has the, you know, at least the elbows covered, if not anything longer, um, and the knees covered again, if not a lot longer. And it depends. I mean, I know people, I am friends with people, um, friendly with people, you know, who dress in, in all manners that are orthodox. So I don't want to really go out and, and, uh, say one way or another. Are women able to wear pants? Um, yes and no. There's, and that's a more of a technical issue here where, uh, women, you know, what if I say technical, I mean, there is a commandment in the Bible where it's in Deuteronomy. I forget exactly the, the chapter and verse. You'll have to forgive me. I'll try to look it up later where, uh, there is a commandment for women not wearing men's clothing and women, men not wearing women's clothing. And the question is about pants. Uh, in some communities, 
some of the more modern Orthodox communities, women do wear pants. Uh, so, you know, in the more, you know, to the right religiously, uh, women do not wear pants. Um, so there, there you have it. <laughs> you know, and, and what's interesting is, and this is actually something I was I'm going to get to later in the uh, later in a different topic, but Orthodox Judaism specifically, and that's that's really where I come from. Uh, is not a top-down religion where we have one person who makes the rules and we ha it, it's a very it's it's a centralized decentralized religion for <laughs> for lack of a better term um, and if that doesn't bring clarity i don't know what will uh, so you could have different halachic deciders go ahead and deciders of jewish law go ahead and make rulings for A and for B, and it it really you know different people who are great who is a, who would be a great person would go ahead and make one rule and say this is the law, and then they could and another person who is another you know very big Torah scholar could go ahead and make and say I see the law as X, and and they can both be right. Correct. It doesn't have denom denominations as uh, you know like Protestants have Wesleyan or Pentecostal. That is correct. I mean, there are denominations to it. Um, you know, like I said, the big three denominations are Orthodox, Conservative, and Reform. People want to go ahead and uh, break that up into subdivisions. Too much of a headache. I don't like these types of things. Um, to me, it's a matter of semantics. And as always, I am anti-semantic. So uh, do the synagogue communities hold labels generally? Yes. Um, or is your view on not using them widely held? No, it is not widely held at all. <laughs> um, friends of mine, you know, are believe this is, you know, are, are like this as well. Um, how much partisanship is there around them? Um, how much partisanship is there around them? That's an interesting question. There can be some partisanship around them. Uh, I, I would say that, you know, there is, you know, when you look at, let's say, an orthodox divide, orthodox v conservative or reform, there's more partisanship than there would be uh, as as opposed to uh, someone like myself and ultra-orthodox. Let's put it that way. Hopefully that answers the question. Any any more questions? I see one more one more comment coming in. I really appreciate these comments, guys, I, guys and gals. I I definitely appreciate it. Thank you very much for making this conversation awesome. I, I really enjoy that. Enjoy it. This is what I enjoy about doing the live the live uh, recording. Okay, so let's go on to the next part B. I guess you could say of this topic. And uh, this is written by an individual by the name of uh, Dr. Erica Brown. She is um, a writer. She's an author. I have multiple books uh, that she has written. I find her to be pretty insightful and very, very bright. Uh, her husband is an emergency room doctor, Dr. Jeremy Brown, who has uh, his own website that deals with uh, things that are in the Talmud, and goes through some of the some of the issues there. It's um, Talmudology is what it's called. I'll just 
do a quick search on that. Uh, Talmudology.com, science, medicine, and the Talmud. Basically, what uh, Dr. Brown, Dr. Brown is saying, um, and is basically the fact that when you're going ahead and taking a look at somebody, you know, like some of these individuals who earlier were part of this part of this um, hashtag, my orthodox life, they're going ahead and, you know, it doesn't make an interesting life, maybe. Uh, I would disagree. I think that it could make an interesting life, and I think that I would love to see um, something about that. In fact, I think I've mentioned it earlier in an earlier podcast, uh, Ruchi Fryer, who um, created a organization called Ezra Snashim, which is an emergency response, uh, easy for me to say, an emergency response service for Orthodox women, and it's only staffed by women because some women's issues need to be, you know, they would, the people would rather be seen by only women. Um, they did a documentary on it called 93 Queen. I will try to look that up and try to get a uh, link to at least something about it. I know it was uh, on PBS. I don't know if it's still on their website or if it's on their website at all. We would have to see. Anyhow, and that's basically what she is going ahead and talking about, uh, is that, you know, th there is not a issue. You know, it would be very boring to go ahead and, you know, w have a reality series on somebody that is... A, what I look, you know, the term I prefer for myself is a centrist Orthodox Jew. Um, but again, I do hate all sorts of labels. Anyway, interesting article. Uh, it goes into some of the liturgy that was going that we we had leading up to Rosh Hashanah and through the through Yom Kippur. Uh, some of it we will we say uh, still, um, and I'll just quote at, pull out an art uh, a line from the article here. To this point, reality TV this past year and a host of other programs and articles depict orth an orthodoxy that is narrow and limiting, as if to put its adherents on notice. Here's another article, and this is an article that I am you know as always geek out about, which is a first temple cheating weight has been discovered. And this is um, how Jerusalem merchants manipulated weights to defraud customers. Uh, this is not anything new. Uh, you know, defrauding customers, as you see, it's not anything new. It has been happening for years. In fact, the Bible does at talk about it. And it is, um, you know, it's, it tells you to go ahead and make sure that your scales and weights are even and correct. Um, so, and this is uh, something that was found. And, uh, you know, again, not surprising that, uh, you know, people will always try and find a way to cheat. It's really almost like it's human nature, unfortunately, uh, because it most likely is. Any any comments on that? It wasn't the most exciting thing, I know, but uh, hey, what can I say? How did they manipulate the weight? You know, just to read a part of the article here, the 2,700-year-old stone 
Weight bears two parallel lines, which according to a team from Hebrew University were used to mark the stone as weighing two gera, which is a little bit less than one gram. In actuality, however, the stone weighs 3.61 grams, nearly four times the marked amount. So basically they said, hey, here's this stone. Boom, go ahead, as, as somebody posted exactly that into the, uh, into the chat as well. Um, it went ahead and did that. So I guess it was able to fool people somehow. I don't know. Uh, contrary to popular belief, I was not around 2,700 years ago. Uh, you may have to ask the 2,000-year-old man what happened back then, because I am not sure. And the fact that the 2,000-year-old man is actually still living, this is, uh, this is true. However, the person that interviews him is not. <laughs> Get the 2,000-year-old man on the show. Um, if you want to talk about people that are really too big for, the, uh, for this, the 2,000-year-old man is, is definitely one of them. Um, for those of you who don't know, the 2,000-year-old man was a bit that Mel Brooks did with Carl Reiner. And um, it is pretty darn funny. Um, go ahead, check it up on YouTube. You'll enjoy it. It's it's fun stuff. It, it, it's it is it is very very funny. I, I wish one of our regular listeners was on the live chat today, uh, because this is uh, in his region of the of the world. And the next article, which is. Remains of an ancient mikvah found in Guerrero, Mexico. And uh, basically, they found a ritual bath, which is used, which these types of ritual baths, ritual baths themselves, are still in use today. Um, you know, it is primarily, you, you know, used by women. I won't go more into it at that on on air, but it is it's my and it's one of the things that they actually say in the uh, in the article um, that it is the one of the first things that need to be constructed when a Jewish community is founded, and this is one hundred percent correct. This is something that this is a uh, this is something that needs to be done. Uh, and what is interesting about this is the discovery of the mikvah or which ritual bath contrasts with previously previous archaeological data surrounding the mining city of Taxo, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, uh, since Judaism was believed to have been a persecuted religious practice during the colonial period, it suggests that there was a significant Jewish community in early colonial Mexico. And this is actually, both parts are correct, uh, that, as I had mentioned, I believe in the last episode, where the Inquisition followed to the New World, from Spain and from Portugal and uh, any any of those countries, and it followed into the New World, and Judaism was a persecuted religion. Uh, however, there, you know, but there were a lot of Jews in the area, and uh, they tried to protect themselves. And maybe, you know, the individual or the town there was friendly, and they did not go ahead and get into. Uh, ask for the Inquisition to come to their town. Uh, and speaking of the Inquisition uh, and Mel Brooks, we'll just tie this together. Uh, History of the World Part 1, his, uh, his whole bit with the Spanish Inquisition. So I'll just leave it at that. Again, take a look at YouTube for 
History of the World Part 1, Spanish Inquisition. You could see it. features Mel Brooks. It features um, Jackie Mason, I believe, who just recently passed away. And it also features uh, nuns in bathing suits. All right, question that I got from a listener was, I just heard something and I have to confirm with you. Is the water in New York not kosher? Someone just said there are tiny crustaceans that live in the pipes. And the answer to this question is twofold. Uh, One is, yes, there are crustaceans in New York's water. New York is one of the few cities that, for some reason, do not have to filter their water. And so, therefore, there are crustaceans hanging around. Uh, these are called copods, copepods. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. I'm sure I'm pronouncing it incorrectly. Uh, these articles actually date back that I'm gonna, that from New York, from the New York Times and from Time Magazine. They are from 2004 and 2010, respectively. Um, you know, and basically the the the, the uh, long and short of it is, as I told my friend and slash listener of the podcast, who by the way is on his honeymoon. So congratulations to you. You know who you are. Enjoy. And my uh, wedding check is uh, in the mail. You know what I mean. Okay. So anyhow, um, this is true. There are things in. It. There are crustaceans in it, and basically. According to the New York Times, uh, New York is one of the three cities which is exempt, or few cities, that is exempt from federal filtering requirements. Uh, Boston and Seattle are also exempt. Uh, They do not have the city's number of Orthodox Jews, of course. Uh, I think New New York is the biggest Orthodox Jewish population there. Anyway... um, there was a uh, people you know a lot of people do now filter their water multiple ways in order to drink the water Um, you know there are really different as i had mentioned before there are differing opinions on this topic as well as many other topics out there in the world uh, of of judaism and people will have different different beliefs on it um personally we do filter our water in one of two ways we have a um one of those fancy schmancy refrigerators with the water that goes in so it gets that gets filtered so if we ever want a drink of water we just use that so that's automatically filtered uh additionally if we are not on the sabbath when it's the sabbath or a holiday we use a brita water filter so again the water gets filtered and there we go but uh, generally i'm not very uh strict on this so if somebody has non-filtered water around and i'm drink, you know i will drink it out of right out of the tap um as the Orthodox Union says, and this is the 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 other thing that I wanted to bring up, is the Orthodox Union's statement on this, which is from October twelfth, two thousand four. Speaking of very old articles, and they're just bringing this guidance. What they say is very interesting. Uh, while we share this with the public, because and this is basically this is a, uh, let me start from here. The Orthodox Union says. 
This is a statement of Orthodox Union policy for restaurants and caterers under its supervision uh, during this interim period while research into New York City tap water is still ongoing. I'm sure they have a further clarification on this. But uh, while we share this with the public, we recommend that you speak to your Orthodox rabbi for his guidance in this, as in all halachic matters. Uh, then they go ahead and say, a little bit later on, some rabbinic decisors uh, believe that these, uh, these certain considerations might apply in our case and rule leniently. Uh, others feel that the prevalence, nature of the water source, yada, 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 do not allow for a lenient decision. So here we go once again, where we have multiple different multiple different um, ideas on how to go ahead and proceed. And uh, so anyway, there is something in the water that is, uh, you know, that's <laughs> that's the bottom line with it. Uh, there is something in the water. Um, you know, uh, any questions from from the chat? Is there a lot of anti-fluoride conspiracy stuff in parts of the community? I don't think anti-fluoride is one of the bigger conspiracies that they, people worry about. <laughs> um, there are some conspiracy nuts out there, uh, but I've not ever heard about anybody talking about the anti the, the fluoride conspiracy. Uh, I have heard about, um, you know, surprisingly vaccination conspiracies. There, you know, there are a lot of conspiracies. People do go ahead and, and uh, buy into the conspiracies, uh, you know. Unfortunately, I know of many people who uh, believe that the events that took place on January 6th were more important than, oh, I don't know, the founding of the Constitution. Uh, it saddens me. These are, this is a friend, these are friends of mine. Uh, I generally try to avoid the topic with them because I'd rather them be my, I'd prefer them to be my friends. But that's, uh, that is, be that as it may, as we like to say. All right, any more comments? Okay, so it doesn't look like there are any more comments, which means there'll be a flurry of comments as soon as I say that. But uh, that concludes today's episode, which is Season 3, Episode 6. I got that right. And, um, yeah, I like I like, would like to thank all of you for listening to the podcast. Please do not forget to subscribe, to leave a review wherever you feel fit. Uh, if you do want to contact me, feel free to use the contact form on notarabbipod.com. I will definitely be getting those. And I will happily answer your questions that you ask. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. I am Aaron Benedict, and I am Not a Rabbi. <laughs>